Hey, Savages and sports fans, welcome to Greg Medford Show. Greg here, coming at you from the corner of the factory in Phoenix, Arizona. What's going on? We are uh, in our continuing, I call it the Milk Stool Series. As many of you have heard, the three legs of the Milk Stool for this all to work. A higher power endowed populace that gives up a sliver of its freedoms to an elected body we can kick out of office to kind of help run things and put battleships in the water. Those are the two legs of the milk stool. The third leg of the milk stool is a free and independent press with a little mirror and a bullhorn reflecting back on everybody what they're doing. Talking to the population and speaking truth to power. Now, the free and independent press doesn't do that. They've failed miserably. Why? Well, because they need certificates and they need degrees from these universities that are all connected to these government institutions and they all want to get invited to the national press corps party and they want to invite it to the white house so they can be on the daily news instead of having to go find their scoop so because they're generally lazy um now they're just propagandists reporting used to be this kind of gumshoe detective, bare knuckles, blue collar thing, and it's turned into a snooty, upper class, uh, I don't know, kind of an affectation of the elite. It's almost, it's because it's their pet. It's their little pet project. How can they inform the masses and propagandize the masses so they can do whatever they want? That's what's happened. Whatever happened to the gumshoe, standing there with a notepad, you know, with a notepad in everybody's nose pushing them. That's gone. The best news job in the country is the Washington desk at the White House. You don't have to go out and do any of that knuckle drag anymore. You just show up every day and the president tells you what's cool. You get to walk back and or you get to be on national news asking the questions, raising your hand up. But now everything's a co collusion between the extreme upper class and the upper class elitist group of reporters. So what are we going to do? It's, uh, you know, 97% of people in the original 13 colonies and in the early Americas wanted to be British. 3% wanted to be free. That's what being a 3%er is. 3% wanted to participate in independence from England. 3%. And as it turns out, it's still the same. About 3% of us want to be free. So we joined the Marine Corps and we joined the 82nd and the 101st and joined the Navy SEALs. We joined Delta, joined the PJs, go fly fighter jets, project our force. And once you get out and your young man's vim and vigor is over, what do you do now? And this is what you do sometimes. First time in world history, you can just put a little studio together, throw up some cameras, get some cool mics, and invite in guests and have the American discussion. So here we are having it today. John Arnold is joining us. He's an Arizona businessman, citizen, and uh, from the Midwest. You're from the Midwest, right? Yep, correct. Yep, Midwesterner out here in Arizona, a transplant to our wild, dusty, squinty-eyed West here uh, running for... State House Legislative District Number Four. We're going to talk about some issues today. I'm going to push him a little bit because we've just met, 
and uh, I'm, I'm going to push him a little bit and, at, and see, see what kind of answers and resolve I can get from him on some of the things that are the pressing issues of the day from my little corner of the world. These are going to be the same issues that are pressing you if you're in Muskogee or if you're in Tampa or if you're in New York City. If you live in some kooky liberal bastion uh, of America where your money doesn't matter, like you're up in Marin County where everyone's basically suckled off the teat of capitalism and then they turn into a bunch of luxury Marxists because they're internal liars. If you live in that place and your money doesn't matter, toss some money around in the politics that do matter because there's swayable places everywhere. And this is one of those swayable places. Hey, welcome to the show. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So... Running for LD4. Yes, sir. Um, when did you decide to run for LD4? About a year ago. Um, I looked around, looked at this race. Redistricting was coming up. Um, I've got four kids that are age 12, 12, 9, and 5. Um, and my you got twins? Twin girls, yep. Oh, my goodness. I'll get to this in a sec. One of them is a swimmer, pretty competitive swimmer. And so you can imagine uh, swimming and uh, sexual uh, confusion, I'll call it, within the swimming collegiate world. Uh, not, not on, not on my watch, but we'll get to that, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, father of four, and I love my country, and I love liberty, and I just made a decision. I could have those four kids know that their dad just talked about loving liberty, or I want them to know that I'm going to do something about it. And so that's why I decided to run. And that was a decision that was made about a year ago. Uh, I'm in it to win it. Uh, and so tomorrow, if you live in, if you're listening to this show, you live in Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Arcadia, Biltmore, Northeast Phoenix, you're in my district. And if you're going to, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you actually want to make sure you go to the ballots or go to the, the polls and actually vote. Uh, I'm talking to you today and I hope that you hear my message because I'm, my message is going to be one that is for liberty, freedom, and, you know, I think that I'll be the best candidate for freedom-liberty-loving patriots that are listening to the show today. Let's, uh, just for a little parenthetical, I believe it's Camelback Road, for those of you here in Phoenix, up to about Pinnacle Peak Parkway. That's correct. And then approximately 16th Street over to the 101. Yeah, I, I call it, the, yeah, I say basically the 51 is the western edge. And the 101 is the eastern edge. It's a, Pretty big, close. it's a big chunk of one of the most affluent parts of Arizona, for sure. Yep, 247,000 people, 188,000 are voter voter age. And tomorrow, with the primary, uh, it's 75,000 registered Republicans. Uh, and of those 75,000, we expect a pretty big voter turnout. Based, we've got a big you know Senate race here in Arizona. We have a big governor's race here in Arizona. So we think we're going to get roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty-five to forty thousand of those participating of in the, the seventy-five thousand yeah. registered Republicans. Um, and I, I tell you what, Greg, it's been just eye-opening and heartwarming to see how many voters. Because I've been working my ass off, I've been going out door to door, talking. I, I've literally have talked to thousands of voters uh, in the last twelve months in our district. And these are informed in voters. This isn't, you know, I think in the general, you get some voters that are there to vote for the top of the ticket, and then they kind of just pick a name on the lower end. But I tell you what, the people I've met, 
lower end of the ticket, for, which would be classified as my race state house. These people know what they're talking about and they're listening and they want liberty. The times are a changing. Um, you know, when everything's running along hip slick and cool, people can kind of keep their nose in their own lane and stay in their own life and just kind of focus on keeping the garage clean and working with the kids. A- absolutely. Right? But when gets, when things get crazy, when you see, when, you know, Modern intellectualism, which seems to be driving this country, has yes. its head so far up its own ass. It Without doesn't question. doesn't connect to empiricism. Right. So we go, how does the how do the elite keep making these decisions when we have millions of people running across the border? How do the elite keep making these decisions when we see our citizens dropping dead from fentanyl everywhere? Right. They're intellectuals, and their ideas and theories are disconnected from the observable exper- experiential world. Without, they're, they're disconnected. It's 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 crazy. And let me address two points on what you just said there. Number one, our district is, my, my area, is the best example of what you said of probably, com- I, I use the term complacency in the last two years. So like, you know, at the school board level, SUSD, I'm mm-hmm. sure you heard the madness that's gone there, gone on there in the last two years. Two years ago, I, I can tell you right now, I've friends, peers, people live in this, in our district, no idea. Scottsdale, life is good, right? Like, right. and hey, you know what? We're, schools are going to be great. And, you know, whoever's there in the school board. Well, be, they're, they're thinking about their next Porsche, next BMW lease. Life is, exactly. Yeah. Life is good. And what happened during COVID, boom, the curtain got pulled back. We got to see what was happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that complacency, I think it was a massive, massive eye-opening experience to a ton of families within our district. So I think ultimately, you know, a little pain here along the way, you know, to move forward and, and get people to pay attention. Sometimes I mean, it was you, a good thing. You, you need to you need to take a little pain to kind of move forward. I thought that was super interesting. Um, but let me speak to the other part, the elites, which is I, I, I think is unbelievably fascinating. So let's look at today's landscape of the common elite liberal. They, the, the liberals historically, you know, both sides would agree to this, have controlled the media. I mean, go, in the, go before Fox News. I mean, if you go before Fox News, they've controlled essentially the entire media, you know, I mean, pre, pre ni- early 90s. Uh, education system, right? So that has been a liberal controlled industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now what we're seeing, so those are big institutions that have been controlled by the by the liberals. Now we're seeing that the liberal elite class has gotten themselves into big corporations. That yeah. used to be republic, you know, Republican. That business. was the bastion of yeah, capitalists, right? It was Republican business, free enterprise. And I tell you what, I'm in the financial services industry, and I have a, a broker dealer that again should be business free enterprise. Uh, and they they're pushing a woke agenda on us on a daily basis. Um, it's 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 really really fascinating. Um, and and so now they're getting into that. So you're seeing that. I mean, obviously we we know the Disney in Florida and so forth. And we're you know we're trying we're pushing back there. Take the big corporations, education, and the media, right? And guess what? We're gonna have a red wave come November. Besides all that, what's that tell you? What that tells you is what, exactly what you said, Greg. The people, the people can think for themselves. You know, yeah. I mean, it just the liberals just think that the average Democrat, like, is, should be so insulted. The average Democrat should be absolutely insulted with what their leadership thinks of their brains because they, they basically just brainwash their own voter base to say, it doesn't matter what we do. We're just going to tell you what to vote. And and a lot of them do it. They're their own um they're their own echo chamber and they're so disconnected and the population has been 
while everything's been great, the population can kind of let this happen because we don't get to be, you know, intellectuals are people who exist in a theoretical space and they never have to prove it anymore. That's, that's, yeah. you know, the, the, the enlightenment era, 1700, you know, the 16th, yeah. 17th century, it was all about the rejection of mysticism. It was all about the rejection of mythology and um, faith-based thinking. It had to do with empiricism and observable universe and finding a way for the observable, observable universe to match the worldview, you know, the, what had been dominated by the right. church. But, you know, as we decided that the earth wasn't the center of the universe right. and we were part of something bigger, science, our minds changed, yeah, right? Yeah, right? So it was where science began to connect with belief so that our beliefs jive up with the observable universe. There's this new era where our beliefs are broken away from science and it's where we have all these liberal arts majors and we have all these universities that have been making all these liberal arts. And I was, I was a liberal arts major, but I was also good at the hard sciences. Yeah. Um, they're disconnected from, for instance, the entire green agenda, if you look at it, it's actually not science-based. It's theory-based, not backed up by science trying to answer some question that they believe in their little hearts right. it's not actual real science the goal is a transfer of power in my opinion it's, well, yeah yeah and it's just another attack on capitalism is right. all it is but but they don't know that so you've got these agencies who support the green agenda who are funded by the government who wants the green agenda so it has control so that it can, can make make things cleaner and then the people that run these organizations i mean no real hustler wants to go work for the federal government right they want to get out in the free market and That's make right. some money and change the world well the government doesn't change the world it just grows so you've got this negative feedback loop of people who go to the same universities they drink the same kool-aid to go run the same organizations and then you know the right people and you work your way into the leadership and all I see in my, on the horizon for the life of America is either death by our current path or death to the institutions which are trying to kill our country right now. Yeah, it's it, like you said, it's a whole inside mix. A lot of East Coast Ivy Leagues where they, they go to the institutions, you know, the higher end areas, graduate. They know somebody that knows somebody and they get into whether it be big media, big, big uh, you know, Fortune 500. And that's where that that loop goes on. You know, I read this this article one time that was just really eye opening to me in terms of why. You know, I always thought why, and this has been for you know over a hundred years. Why is that the education elitism in America is so far left? I just you know why. I mean, you and I take it as we were born into it basically. Like that's just the way it was. And a really interesting thought process uh, came across in in that part was that is that back a long time ago, 100, 120 years, 130 years ago, the education elites did not like the fact that if you went to an average college town and you looked at who had the power in that town or that in, who had the respect, or they'd go to a local you know, a community organization, is that the Chamber of Commerce would celebrate you know, the business people in the area. The business people in the area would make twice, three times what the average professor was making in terms of income, which means that if you had a high, high academic professor going to the same type of social event as the best plumber in town, and the best plumber in town was making three times, three times the income as the professor, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that 
you had private industry of what they thought as an elitist was, you know, they looked down upon the average man or the average woman who was working hard, providing services for their community. And as a result, that's where some of these attacks come from is they just, they, they've often, they just resent essentially the private sector. And because if we go back to the, the, the old Roman empire, it was the complete, it was the, a flip. It was the opposite is those academic elites were the highest respected people within their community. And that's not the case anymore. And they resent that. You know, it's part of the American ethos. It's part of the American fabric is that we reject that stodgy intellectualism because that was going on uh, and that allowed the divine right of Kings, you know, that, that sort of intellectual paralysis allowed what happened in Europe to happen for four centuries. Right. And it allowed the oppression of people. It allowed the uh, it allowed the it allowed the burning of witches. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, it allowed the what happened in Europe to transpire, and we're a reaction to that. You know, the entire American project and the thinking of John Locke and Hume and Montesquieu and all of those early uh, philosophers towards financial yeah. and financial self determinism that was all a response to all of that. Right. It's it's fairly new in the history of humanity. It, it's absolutely new. Yeah. You know, if we, when when they talked about liberty in 1785, people really they would scratch their head like, "What are you talking about?" Right. Well, now it's really commonplace, right? right? Everybody was pretty enslaved in those days. Didn't matter what color you were. Didn't right. matter if you had chains or not. Everyone right. was kind of enslaved. So I look at, you know, this, um, I, I see a class battle going on yep. and uh, you, you have the doers and the thinkers and, uh, and the thinkers, they don't like that the doers are successful and the doers don't like that the thinkers seem incompetent. You know, your typical college professor has to call AAA to change his tire. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, or your typical college professor can't fix their toilet if it, if it needs a flapper valve replaced. Yeah. You know, as we've gotten specialized and everybody is not taking care of themselves, the right. more and more specialized we get, the more and more easy it is to resent the intellectual class because well, they're incompetent. Well, think, think of the difference. And this is what I, this is why I love the West in general. Uh, you know, last two, three years, I we've uh, family vacations. We've gone to places like Idaho and Montana and Colorado, gorgeous places like that. But the difference between the East Coast, right? If you think of the city dweller in the East Coast, mm -hmm. they like the confined areas. They like the public transportation. And this this is just an observation of today's reality. You know, they like that, right? For whatever reason. Right. Subconsciously or consciously or whatever, where you're- There's comfort in it, it being it, taken it, care of it, by everybody right. else. They, the, the transportation schedule is provided for you, right? And you just follow. They, they let you know when to get they to just, work. They just follow. Yeah. And you just follow along and yeah. then you go to your high rise or whatever the case is. Us out West, again, I think a lot of this is subconsciously. It's we want our open spaces. Hey, I'm going to get in my car or my truck and I'm deciding when I'm going to go drive or go where. I want my own property. I want the ability to have land to grow my own food if I want to, right? So these are all self-determination, again, consciously or subconsciously. And that's just not Arizona, but there's the entire West. So that that's a part of it too that is so, you know, it, it kind of dividing, you know, you get into some of these more rural areas. It's just, that's the difference in how people think. The the worst thing is that, and, and you know, what I see is I see because of the structure of higher education, you basically, you publish and you do a theory paper uh, for your PhD and you become the, you, you graduate to being a doctor of ideas yeah. or a doctor of some specialty. 
And they've spent so much time, energy, and effort getting there that very rarely do they ever rethink their theses. Very rarely do they ever rethink their specialty that gets them hired at whichever institution they end up in. So there is kind of a, there's a disincentivization towards evolving. So what sure. you do is you really put your roots in while you're 27 years old writing your dissertation. Yeah. And then you spend the rest of your life defending the idea of a child. Right. If you're, you're a child when you do this. If you're a uh, if you're a poker player, it's called pot committed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So so these folks are pot committed towards these theses and they and they they stop their brain stops flying. It just does more and more of this cerebral cortex rationalizing about what they've already done. And there's and and then they don't want to be disproven. So there's no scientific method put to people's PhDs anymore. So nobody's proving anybody wrong. Everybody just comes up with theory and then they run a career on it. Right out here in the real world, you know, you don't get that opportunity because at the end of the month, you know, you have to kind of tally up and have paid everyone That's in right. your firm right. and you have to pay your customers or get, yeah. get rewards for their customer. So, you know, we're out here in this real world where empiricism and results are connected to our theory. You know, I, I have an intellectual side of me too. I guess what I'm going to make next year. Right. And I have to kind of intuit the universe a little bit i have to listen to people and then i sit down and kind of write out my thinking and i, I theorize what i'm going to do and if you guys if you guys build out hey a new knife then you say hey i think this i think the market will love this new type of knife or new design and if you're wrong you've risked capital you've risked time and i can ruin the whole company or yeah or you know you, you take a loss for a year or whatever the case is so that's that's risk and reward as a business person and so that guess what you probably put some pretty good brain power into deciding are we going to go with this project or not because you know that what the you have to weigh the reward versus the risk right whereas to your point you know the the elite institutional education people guess what if they're wrong it's like they don't get disproven they don't get challenged That's right paycheck and, paycheck and, shows up next month and so they sound all sophisticated and they've got good grammar and they've got the right thinking and they can quote right. the right people and then your results driven kind of uh, capitalist out here grammar's maybe not as important might not sound as refined and the two of them their arguments don't necessarily the, the academic argument always sounds better but it almost never works better. I'm gonna give you a quick example of this and I wanna get into some stuff with you. Sure. So uh, I spent some time high school and college in Massachusetts, in Western Massachusetts. I was educated in the belly of the beast around liberals. And uh, I remember there was a water problem that a town nearby was having. And the, there was water coming down a mountain. It was hitting this stone, uh, bedrock and it was making this whole region soft and muddy. They couldn't figure out what to do. And they had all the engineers and uh, the Army Corps of Engineers and the MIT people and all the brains came and every millions of dollars in 10 years uh, trying to figure out what to do. And a farmer came along and said, we need to put a pipe right over here. We need to go right over there. I can, and then no one could figure out how to get the equipment across. And while they were all, he said he'd do it for $100,000 and got it done in three days. And he said, we just need to get the water from here to there because this is all soft in the middle here. Right. And there's something about, and that was the American experiment. We don't need it this complicated. We don't need the best deal. We don't need all these kings. We don't need all these lords. We can do this way simpler. than Life's not that complicated. And there's a pragmatism at our core that we've rejected. And what I saw with Trump was a pragmatism. Minus the bombast, minus the surface that annoyed a lot of people, I just saw a pragmatism and a faith in kind of this American horse sense. Yep. And what I see the left coast and the east coast lacking is just horse sense. 
Every single problem that we encounter in our culture, every single one I look at, I go, eh, we could all fix all that easily. The, the solution, exactly. The solution oftentimes reveals itself as actually fairly simple. And it's what is the political path to get it done? And what President Trump did is he took a bulldozer and just plowed right through and it pissed a lot of people off. Yeah. But guess what? It was effective. If you go but look, like regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, if you are love Trump, if you're a Republican that you know doesn't like Trump, if you're an independent, middle of the road, if you're a moderate Democrat, anybody in that category, okay? Anybody in that category can recognize and today that the policies of president trump were home runs anybody in that group the only group that doesn't that they just they're just the the brainwashing is so blind to them is the far far left you, you know you, you look at it and you think just from a soulless sons of bitches in washington's soulless perspective you'd think even the democrats would go okay we're just going to call it you know the, the right. democrat but let's do a lot of what he did because that was so good right you'd think just out of, if they just did that, they, they you know they could kind of hold on to power forever. Yeah, well, it. I mean, <laughs> they can't. They can't even acknowledge how it, awesome it, it was. It, like the the border wall, which is, by the way, oh. from a state perspective, getting back to kind of my race here. Um, you know, the border wall. What can be done? You know, obviously, most of it is a federal issue, but as a state representative, I will when I come January when I win my race, I'm gonna first week of of session in January gonna advance a pro border security bill on the floor of the state capitol and making sure we deploy more human resources from the state perspective to just almost like a show of force, new sheriff in town, uh, regardless of who our Republican governor is, and just say, hey, you know what, cartels, go to California. Go to New Mexico. And Anywhere but here. Make it known to the cartels. You know what? You guys want to push people across the border? Great. You go to New Mexico, you go to California, but we're going to stop it in the state of, state of Arizona. So I was, I, was, I was just getting ready at the close of our last, last little bit to kind of circle back to this. Now circle back is a bad phrase. Um, but I wanted to come back to the state a little bit. And in light of all of that, um, what, what do you... You know, there's a few things you can do as a state person. You can know what's happened in the past that failed that you could step in and reignite and maybe see if there's the energy to get that done now. Yeah. Because I'm sure somebody has advanced some border wall stuff at this point and it's died for whatever reason. I don't know how this state's ended up 50-50 in the house. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty split in this state. A lot of rhinos. 30, yeah, 31-29 and, you know, I forecast that after November will be 34-26 be my guess. Which will help out because there'll be less, you know, at 31-29 every, every one bit, person can yeah, derail the whole thing. Especially when you have uh, a legislator, uh, you know, out of, North, out of Glendale that will, you know, ha votes with the Democrats half the time. So, um, you know, the, the, the last budget was a bipartisan budget. And, you know, we had to come back to the middle. The Republicans had to come back to the middle on a number of issues uh, to get that passed. So I think if we can get to 3426, we can get some more, you know, which I'm good at. My skills is going to be on, on uh, fiscal issues. Uh, that's my background as a business owner and owning a financial planning company for 22 years. Um, we're going to be able to get some good, I, I believe, some good fiscal responsible policies and cross. I see uh, in the fallout from the first Trump presidency, hopefully there's a second one, I see this weird split and a shift in the political landscape in this country. 
Um, you know, the two parties do this, have been doing it for a long time, and in the middle, everyone is kind of reasonably the same. Yeah. You know, if you poll Arizonans about abortion, we're really, really all very, very close to what we want. Yeah. And we and our politicians, if you listen to them, it sounds like we're all miles apart because they want to own the issue. They don't want to fix anything. Right. And in, in, in the terms, and I don't, you know, abortion is not my favorite topic, but the term itself pro-choice versus pro-life was literally designed to create conflict literally designed to create right. conflict it's, right. i'm either this or i'm that when if you ask most arizonans what do you think is a reasonable policy on this issue and this was passed in the state legislature this this past session uh, a 15-week bill most people in arizona think that's a reasonable bill right it, 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 that's what i hear i hear the whole like eight to 15 week discussion which right. is you know, honestly, that's a really reasonable place for people to be talking. Guess what? Here's the the, the part about in terms of how people get so emotional. And I get it. It's super emotional. I understand it. But when you say, look, the, if you go to a 15-week bill where a woman can have an abortion for up to 15 weeks for any reason, they have full choice. That's three and a half months. Guess who wrote that? The most pro-life, the most pro-life legislator in Arizona wrote that bill. It's a pro-life Bill, you have 15 weeks of a choice. That that's my my point is is that's the type of division that's be trying to be created. Um, well, I actually think it's awesome to get the federal government out of it and yeah, have us all yep. make our decisions out here where I, we live. I just couldn't I couldn't be happier with what went down. The voters of each district get to hire the voice that can bring their thoughts and principles to the state legislature to make those policies at a local level, not yeah. a federal policy. Right. I mean, I couldn't be, I, I couldn't be more excited about, you know, that, that result of, you know, if again, you want to go crazy abortion rights, no, not, because I, have an, not go, because I have an abortions right agenda. Exactly. It's a state Just right. because it, I don't want the federal government to tell anybody what to do. Yeah. I think we should do the same with guns. I yeah. think we should do the same with a lot of things. Yeah, education. Yeah. You know, I, I want the federal government out of everything. So the fact they got yeah. slapped down on abortion, I'm like, well, that's just one thing. Hopefully, right. it's a domino that knocks a bunch of things. Yeah, over. you bet. If you go back and look again, you know, I think you and I love American history. You go back and look at what the function of a federal government was back then, uh, and then we come across, you know, the the, the late or in the 20th century when we had a depression. Uh, and we had two world wars where that fe the size of the federal government to solve our problems, right, became a bigger part of our lives. And when those three major instances in the first half of the 20th century were over, and we, by the way, we emerged as the world power at the end, you know, the government didn't the, go the federal government smaller. says, okay, states, here you go. Here's your power back. They, they, they hung on to it. Yeah. Um, and you know, which part, big part of that's the income tax. Let, let's talk a little bit about some issues then. Um, t tell me about the big three. Let's talk about low hanging fruit. Okay. What are the big three things that you want to bring to the office that day one? Uh, I mean, have you already been putting positions together on certain things that you, you want to bring? Have you already you been bet. meeting with legislators who have things kind of in the works? You bet. Give me an idea. Yeah. So there's the, my my main three my three big issues. Number one is border. Okay. And and again, just theoretically, my strategy there is a show of force, a show of strength. You know, President Reagan, uh, who's my favorite of all time, taught taught me and taught us that peace through strength. If you show force. You will. The results of that will be less military or, or or conflict. So let's just show force on our southern border and dissuade our opposition from coming across this border. You know, here in Arizona. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, as an economic as an economics guy, is I want to make Arizona the ninth state in America 
with a 0% state income tax. If we have a thriving business community, which we do, and we put, you know, 30% of the state budget is derived from the state income tax, which equates to about $3.8 billion. If we take that $3.8 billion and put it back into the pockets with liberty of our hardworking citizens that earn income, take put that money back into their pockets, what are they going to do, Greg? Love it. Well, they're going to reinvest gonna, in the communities. They're going to buy bigger houses. They're, they're going to spend it. And guess what? Sales tax, 5.5%. So you're going to recreate that, that same dollar income stream, but you're going to do so with liberty versus, you know, why an income tax is punitive. It, 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 it's, it's, it dissuades good economic behavior. So that's number, that's number two. And then number three is, and I'm going to be on the front lines of the education conflict. Okay. We're going to talk about education in a minute. Yep. Let's back up the, the wall. Um, you know, there's limited power at the state level from a state rep to jump yep. in on that. Okay. But there's clearly some consensus. I was just down yesterday on the Southern border uh, I'm sorry, Saturday, I went down to the southern border and we, uh, I did a little, I just did a little, uh, little political rally speech and there was a, right on the other side of the border is a little hill and up on top of the hill, you get some binoculars, you can see there's a Mexican guy up there, he's with radios, he's telling the Mexicans where the police are, where law enforcement is so that they can avoid them as they come across the border. While we pulled up the road, there was... A vehicle pulled over that had big bales of drugs. I mean, you can see this. Yeah, it's madness down there. I didn't, you know, it. Everyone thinks it's hyperbole, but if you go down there, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's bananas. What's going on? This um, this fentanyl issue. Th this is starting to wake people up. We had we had a young man in our community in Arcadia, who was 18 years old. He had a super super bright future ahead of him. And uh, his family was going to go on vacation, and he took a Xanax, just a regular Xanax. A lot of, a lot of people do that. Woke up dead the next day because it was it was laced with fentanyl. Uh, this, How is that happening? This is this is happening, and this is this. These are issues. And by the way, we can't stop all drug smuggling, but this is one that if people decide, you know what, that's an issue worth fighting for, then we can address it. But guess what? The people on the left, they don't want to hear it. They're brainwashed. Uh, I'm a lunatic, but um, we've got all these <laughs> we've got all these A10 um, warthogs sitting around. We could have uh, a f uh, a couple flights of those just running the American border and just basically taking out targets of opportunity within one mile of the border that you see that look like a train of this. Yep. And, and this would all be over tomorrow. Yep. We just we don't have the will to do stuff anymore. Um. So at the state legislative level, level, level um, hopefully Kerry uh, Lake gets in. Um, I think at that point we're going to have a, a, a um, you say radical, but we're just going to have a exceedingly pro-America, pro-Arizona, put the wall up and force the damn law kind of governor. Yep. And then you intend to support that kind of action, I think, pretty heavily. With, without question, yeah. So, so on the political landscape I was talking about since Trump has split the Republican Party, it's tearing the Republican Party. So you have what I would call the classic Republicans, which I found them unoffensive, but I found them certainly uninteresting and not really pro-American. They were pro-business. And pro-business and pro-America used to be so overlapping that was enough. But with the globalism and the internationalism of manufacturing that's taken place, 
pro-business now can mean a lot of things. It makes me a little spooked out. Pro-Disney is kind of yeah. starting to be Marxist, LGBTQ-oriented. It get, it's, it's getting murky. It, it is. Yep. So what you're seeing is the people of the Republican Party splitting off, and there's turning out to be an America Party and then two elitist parties. And and the America Party is it's the Kerry Lakes and Laymans and these folks that are radically America first, which is really kind of the Trumpian wing of the party. Yeah. Where are you in that spectrum? Yeah, I, I, this is this is what my favorite uh, topic because I bring a completely different viewpoint than probably any politician in Arizona that you've talked to. Because when I decided to get in this race a year ago, and I've been a lifelong Republican, I've followed Arizona local politics like a nerd, like some most people don't, right? Uh, that you know pretty closely. I didn't realize quite heavily of the Civil War of what you just talked about inside the Republican Party that I was walking into. And uh, I would go back, say, maybe 10 years ago, and I would have called myself a complete classic Republican. I was, I just love the, I've always been a Republican. I love low taxes. Again, kind of a business uh, Republican mm -hmm. guy. Definitely would have considered myself that. In 2016, I was fully behind Marco Rubio in the primary. Uh, didn't really kind of embrace Trump until, you know, weeks before the election. Uh, and what, what the, the movement of President Trump taught me in 2016 was this, is that there is this group of Americans that have completely felt abandoned by their representatives. And they just got so disenfranchised that they just kind of gave up. And President Trump spoke to that crowd and said, every man and woman in America that works hard is going to be representative. And I'm going to, I'm going to carry the flag for you. President Trump was a billionaire, right? And he was the hero of the working class. Think about that. It's banana. It's it, so bizarre. It, a New Yorker. A New Yorker in a suit. That's right. Can like some guy in Arkansas and Iowa is like that's my guy who works at a potato chip factory. That's right. He's he's his guy. That's I, I, I think it's, it, it's it's amazing. It's fascinating. But to get to your point, where I stand in that is uh, Greg. Everywhere I've gone in my life, I've I, I would tell you the defining characteristic that I've had has been leadership. And I see a vacuum here of leadership at the state capitol needed. And if you look at whether it be Rusty Bowers and, and where, where he's at in terms of how others think of him, uh, given his previous uh, leadership capabilities, uh, or just the fact that come, no, come January, you're going to have 60% of that House and that Senate brand new. Whether it be a brand just elected or they took over, because there is a big throw the bums out it, it, thing right now. Yeah, it just a lot of guys didn't. A lot of people are not rerunning. A lot of people retired. Let there, by the way, last session there was a ton. There was like ten people that just simply resigned. Um, so you're going to have this vacuum, and I believe in my one of my goals is is to go in and try and and heal some of these wounds within the Republican Party, because I don't. I'm the political outsider in my case. I don't have the legacy allegiance to either side of that Republican Party. I don't have the, I, like in my in my race, I've got opponents, one's aligned 100% with, with Governor Ducey, and then the other one, the other two are completely aligned with with uh, Nancy Barto and, and more of the right wing, you know, hard to right or Trump crowd. Uh, I appeal to both sides. I can speak to both sides. I communicate and have the belief system of both sides. And I know in today's world, everyone wants to get divisive, even within the Republican Party. They want that divisiveness. Uh, I, I believe in both sides. And I can, you know, I'm going to always be America first. So if that's a defining characteristic, I'm going to be more on the America first side of the equation. Uh, but 
I believe I'm going to be able to provide some leadership by saying, hey, everybody, we don't have to be, hate each other. The Democrats, the liberals are the ones we need to beat, not each other. Uh, and I definitely get and understand the grievances on both sides of this. And I also you know, understand the positives of both. So I can bring them together, I believe. One of the things voters, your voters in, in particular, I'm from your, you know, I mean, I grew up in your district, uh, the, that district. I'm, you know, I was 32nd at Shea. Yep. And then uh, uh, 65th Street and Cactus. I mean, you know. That's, right in the wheelhouse, right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has just annoyed me the most is these conservatives that I vote for over the years who side with Democrats. Uh, and, you know, Democrats aren't wrong 100% of the time, but they are 100% wrong in their solutions. Yeah. So it's it's easy for me to dismiss them. I'm sick of rhinos. I'm sick of people who say they're conservatives. And, and then, um, you know, I couldn't stand John McCain. I couldn't stand his dumb policies, his maverick status, any of that. I thought he was awful. Um, I just thought he was an elitist big government guy. That was all I, all I could get out of him. He was, uh, you know, and, and it's exactly what I expect of a uh, field-grade naval officer. Big organization, big trust in the big machine. Interesting, yeah. And I, I didn't like him at all. It's not what I wanted out of my conservatives. I am sick of conservatives, people who say they're conservatives, who are pro-big government. Yeah. And uh, I'm sick of folks talking about reasonable gun laws i'm sick of folks talking you know i want my state congress i want them to make an amendment to the arizona constitution that no state or municipal money in law enforcement can be spent funding or supporting any law enforcement action for the federal government that is anti-second amendment sure you know so talk to me those are some of the major concerns of us arizonans and our native i mean i'm a native my dad's a native you know, Second Amendment. We're here because it's free. Absolutely. So the Second Amendment is a big issue. Uh, obviously, it and we every time we see one of these tragedies, the call for restrictions comes down. Uh, I'm a massive Second Amendment person, and I am because of issues that go much further than what we see on, when it comes to being able to def You know, the 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 normal Second Amendment theory is I I should have the right to bear a weapon to protect my family against danger intruders and so forth which is absolutely true i i should but that's a secondary yeah it goes before that and the reason why we've had 247 years of the greatest country on earth uh is because we have the ability it was written into our original documents that those the right to bear these weapons was originally intended and by the way it has worked it's been proven correct is for us to be able to defend ourselves as a people against an oppressive government that's first and foremost and i know right. and i know some people roll their eyes at that in 2022 but guess what guys we've got evidence that it works like right. you cannot dismiss the evidence of the growth that we are beside things that happen that we don't like we are the most successful nation in the history of mankind and, and, and the it's because of that second amendment. And the government wants in on everything. And right. anybody who's been around knows at some point, every piece of radical power grabbing legislation, at some point when it's in committee and they're sitting across from each other, you know, the representatives yep. from the left and the right, somebody says, Well, how's the congressman uh, from New York? How do you suggest we go in the. Uh, 330 million homes and take all those back how do you how do you right. think we ought to do that right you think how many law enforcement people from kentucky you think want to go to these armed homes and In do this yeah you know that conversation happens oh yeah 
uh, it's actually that's good. a real thing. It's, I mean, it's, it's an fun insulator. Theater. It's fun theater. Yeah. 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 Because because that I call it the, uh, the the you know the, the the gun grab in this country is very different than the gun grab in Australia. Yeah. Well, it, the the interesting thing I think that happened with the Second Amendment, and I actually personally saw it because I saw fear and confusion in a in a, in a liberal's eyes at Bass Pro Shop when I was getting nine millimeter ammunition about two years ago, is that during the summer of 2020, more independent and far left Democrats went to go buy a firearm than you know. I mean, if you look at the firearm sales in America, it didn't do, well, it, your guys' industry obviously you know. Crazy. It. And guess what? Most of the Republicans already had guns, right? So who right. is that? Who is it that it was, was Democrats yeah, buying right. guns? And and so because like I hope I don't run into anybody. Yeah, from, don't. Yeah, like nobody the, can see me. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so the virtue signaling. Oh, don't don't. Hopefully no one sees me. But so I think when it comes down to it's one of those issues of what looks good in what looks good in the press, but in your in the American home. The, the, the idea of protecting one another and protecting yourself, protecting yourself against whether it be an intruder or the government uh, has never been more alive than, than today. And unfortunately, you know, when we have, like you said, 330 million Americans, you have two things that are, are really trying to drive this narrative. Number one, and then just that's different than, say, 50 years ago. Number one is just population growth. Bad things are going to happen. And that's just part of human nature. And I hate it. We all hate it. It's ugly. Um, but it, it happens. Okay. And I don't want it to ever happen, but when you, the more people you have, the more risk and bad things are going to happen and just law of large numbers. And then couple that with the fact that everything we do, every bad thing that happens is going to be sensationalized because we see it all on video camera. We have, I mean, literally right. 250 million video cameras all over America. And so that is different and new today than it had been in the, the history of this country. And so those those two things are being used to brainwash Americans into what they think happens. If you look at the actual data, if you look at the actual statistics, they're going to, again, bear to, you know what, terrible things happen and we see it and it makes us not feel good. However, statistically, if you go back in the history of, of our country, you know what, these bad occurrences have always been there on a percentage of what the population is. Uh, we just it just doesn't feel as good today. You got to read Freakonomics if yeah. you haven't read it because it talks about like it being the safest time in yeah. all of human history. I mean, around. life expectancy, life expectancy is beyond it's off the charts. You know, and the other thing too is, and I don't want to be cavalier here, is is we all gauge risk on what in danger to ourselves, and then we decide to make our choices, whether it be consciously or subconsciously. So, as an example, I mean, car accidents. I mean, I, I don't have the exact number. Are you know, car accident deaths outweigh firearm deaths in this country. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's ten to one or whatever. The it's case. gigantic. It's probably more higher than ten yeah. to one, right? But we all we all say, you know what? I'm getting in my car today to go to work, or right. to, we all take our kids to school right. in 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 those cars, even though the risk is higher because we just it, we don't think the risk is high enough where it's going to dissuade me from that activity. And so, but the, the math is is not portrayed in the media that way and we see the big at you know the big ugly thing because it does it, it's terrible and these are real lives and these are reef real families and people want solutions and i'm right there by the way i want solutions too i do think that there are are things we can do but it's not the guns it's the people right and we have a mental health crisis yeah, in this I country agree. i agree and we're just 
you know, I, I would say good, good news, bad news. And I have a, a good buddy of mine who owns a mental health company. And so I get firsthand data on what's happening. And the good news is that as, as a society, we are recognizing this. It's harder to recognize than a physical, a physical problem. We're, we're continuing to recognize it. The stigma of it is, is being reduced, which is good. Um, but it's just harder to determine and harder to be accepted nationwide. If I go into the doctor, like, Hey doc, my arm, my arm hurts. I fell over and, and my arm hurts. They do an x-ray and they see the bone right. break. It's indisputable what happened. Right. I broke my arm. Here's what we do to, to fix There's it. There's not a hard fix on the mental stuff. It's just cause it's murky on what does this mean? What does that say? I think we're moving in a direction and I think this will vastly improve society of saying, okay, let's recognize these issues and then we can address them, you know, but you have to be careful because of liberty and, and, and overstepping, but that's going to help us. People talk a lot about, I get asked all the time, you know, what would you do about the violence in schools? What would you do about the violence of the young generation? What would you do about all these things? And I tell people all the time, we have a vacuum of masculinity in this country. We have phony masculinity uh, that we uh, worship on the weekends playing sports. And we have a vacuum of daily masculinity because We've been emasculated and under the guise of equality by a bunch of angry purple-haired vagina hat-wearing lesbians. <laughs> and uh, what the country needs, what every family needs, what every kid who's going to be in prison five years from now needs is a stern man in his life. That's right. Not a violent, angry man, not a raging man, but a stern man in his life. That This country has a man problem. While we've been wearing skinny jeans and trying to appeal to the softer nature of television women. Real women don't actually want that That's man. Right. And you see these guys wearing their little man buns on top of their head. Yeah. I hear so many stories about guys who don't have jobs. They kind of have girls with jobs and they kind of hang out and tinker at the house. These are not the men that are good for this country. Humanity. I mean, and if you, and I'm a, I look at a lot of issues uh, that we face today through the lens of the history of humanity and the difference in how, you know, men and women and the difference were, were designed by for thousands of years since the history of mankind, the, the major, you know, role of the male had been protection and providing for a family. And that is not something that we just decided to do thousands of years ago. It was just a natural innate evolution of, of how that worked. And you're seeing, generation a generation of people like you said of being are being told that they're pigs if they continue the trend of a, of human history you know jordan peterson uh, makes this point that being a a soft peaceful male is not noble he says you should be a ferocious fearsome creature who chooses to be gentle yeah there's virtue in that, but there's no virtue in being gentle. For the audience, Greg's wearing a hat right now that says lion's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, we can see what's coming. Um, when the state gets heavily involved with the family, the family disintegrates and the family goes into chaos. Um, black Americans after the Reconstruction period had higher rates of marriage. They had higher rates of literacy. They had higher rates of education than whites did. And with the uh, civil rights movement and the change that happened in our society, engagement of the government into the black society in this country has destroyed their culture. And they're trying to come to grips with that. And everyone thinks it's because of racism. And you can, 
you can just graph it out. You can see yep. as the government gets involved in the African-American family, the African-American family fails. Right. And as the government gets involved in the white family, we will fail too. That's right. And they're trying to do it. And they are. They're in the midst of it right now. You want to know what's happening with all these fentanyl zombies, these kids getting all freaked out, the government's disintegrating families. They kill God. They kill the family. They kill the country. Yeah. So let me ask you about solutions. We got to our third item on the list was education. Yep. Chat with me a little bit about education and what you want to do. I mean, I think we all kind of know probably where you're at if uh, if uh, Carrie Lake wants wants to um, uh, put up put the remaining piece of the wall up that's all sitting in piles down by the border yep um, you would support f for sure. funding for that yeah there's 19 miles of state land that's actually this past legislator actually just funded it where there's 19 miles of state land that was funded and legally we can put the wall up on now that's that's a that's a big border but you know what every time we can take out 19 miles we're reducing choke points, which means we can put our physical, our, our human, you can force resources. human resources yeah. to the other to the other gaps. Um, and then your second issue after that, what was your second thing? Uh, taxation, state income tax. Okay, and and so you had talked about uh, about three point five billion of the budget was generated from that state income tax Correct. of their annual budget. If you, well, where do you make up for that $3.5 billion? Because if you collect, let's say everybody went out and bought cars tomorrow with the $3.5 billion, the 8% tax from that would be way less than the $3.5 billion. So, no, it would be it would be higher. So, how is that possible? So if you, you take 8% of $3.5 billion, you only get 8%. Right. Well, that, right now, the, that, that $3.8 million billion, okay, mm -hmm. that's being generated, okay, is being generated off 2.5% state income tax, okay? So if you take that $3.8 billion, put it back into our pockets. So it was taxed at 2.5%, okay? So if we put it back into our pockets... Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. It's going to go to the sales tax. The, the, the $3.5 billion won't turn into... It yeah. will, instead of collecting $3.5 billion, you'll get $5.4 billion or whatever. It, it, and then I say that it'll be less than that, actually, because not all of it's going to be spent on consumer products or whatever the case is. But uh, that's a big part of where we, we can we can bring that to play. Then also the other piece of that... Because people don't go put it in the bank. Well, <laughs> exactly. That's all amount, dude. Well, they some do or invest it or buy real estate or whatever the case is. But that's, productive things, yes, not government. Things. Right, most of it, most of it's going to be spent. Do you think the legislature will go along with that? I think ultimately that's where we're trying to get. Um, and I think if you look at the pattern of that income tax, where it's gone, uh, that's where we're, I think the trend line is. Okay, pause. Let's yeah. jump into the third one then. Yep. Um, let's jump into education then at the state legislator level. Tell us what you want to do with education. Yeah. So this is this is a big thing. My wife was a my my wife was a school teacher. She was a Democrat from Michigan. Uh, we sat on our couch in 2008, November. Did you fix her? I, I did. Okay. okay. So <laughs> by 2012. All right, wife, if you're listening, he's just kidding about that. We're just, yeah. we're, we're just funning. <laughs> oh, she'll be the first one to tell you. I mean, uh, and by the way, I shout out to Allison, my wife. Uh, for anybody, What's up, Allison? Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know what it's like to run for a public office um, from a perspective of time, taking shit from people. Uh, we have four kids, what it takes. Allison, my wife, has been an absolute rock star. Uh, I mean, as yesterday, she was making two hours worth of cold calls on a Sunday afternoon. Um, just absolutely a rock star in helping because she knows the difference. And education is her big issue because she was a teacher and she understands and sees the difference. Now, where we live, we live in Scottsdale. And it, number one is I'm a total advocate. I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting here, but I'm not. I'm a total advocate of, of school choice. 
And our kids go to a Great Hearts school, which is a charter school that is awesome. And if anybody from the left wants to talk about how school choice, like, hey, no, it shouldn't be about the kids and the parents. It should be about the teachers and the institutions. I would ask them to look in the mirror and say, who are we trying to serve here? It's the children, not the, not the, the institutions of, of education. It's the kids and the parents. They just need to, the public schools just simply need to compete better. That's it. Uh, and I want to be part of the solution to help those public schools compete better. And to do that, number one is they have to realize that they're actually in competition. Uh, I've been very in-depth through my charity work with the Scottsdale Charles with SUSD, and I'm a huge advocate for SUSD. I want to help them turn the corner and understand the, 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 the time period of monopoly on education is over. Let me just frame this a little bit for some of our viewers and listeners. So Arizona, we uh, just passed even more aggressive legislation this year for money goes with the kid. Um, follows it, the backpack. It's Yeah, what's that? They said the yeah, money follows the backpack. Money follows the backpack. So what that means, it's a change of phraseology. So there's been this um, uh, either you're for schools or against schools mentality. And in Arizona, we have a school charter system. So your money, uh, certain component of your money has been able to travel with your kid to go to these little charter schools, which are private institutions um, where your public funding that goes to your student in your neighborhood, if your kid doesn't go to the public school and goes to one of these schools, the dollars follow. But it, it's been a, a component of that. That's right. Now it's a larger, it's a much bigger component. They're getting close to all the money. Well, basically what happens, what just happened is the difference this past session was that it's about $7,000 per kid is the difference. And uh, I think there's about 12,000 all total per kid yeah, so, in between municipal, state, and federal dollars that go to a that's kid. That's right. So the charter schools don't get the municipality money. That stays at the public school level. But the state money, so in Arizona of the 12, if you have a charter school, you get the 7,000. And so now the law just changed where now, if you want to put your kid in private school, okay, but you couldn't otherwise afford it, now you get to take that state $7,000 and allocate it towards private school. And there's no better evidence, Greg, of the success of this system than in Maryvale. Maryvale, traditionally in our the public schools, have just had horrendous graduation rates. Mm -hmm. Just horrendous graduation rates. Well, the charter school, the Great Heart School in there, just graduated a, a senior class with 100% graduation rate inside in the toughest areas so the, the notion that the, the the school choice and the charter school system is only pandering to the affluent and those kids are going to do well anyways that's not the case if you go look at at some studies in new york and you look in harlem some of the success of charter schools in harlem yeah, yeah. it's mind-blowing and they want to shut them all down right right because guess what they don't get the, the, the state education system doesn't get the control the institution does and guess what if you provide a better service then the competition, you're going to get the customers. The, the teachers' unions are racketeering for right. the Democratic Party. It's, it's all it is. Yep. They, they, they want a permanent base of mandatory donors who get a paycheck mandatory uh, deduction taken each week, each pay period. That's right. That goes straight into the National Teachers Association or the union, teachers' union. And then that goes almost 100% exclusively into the Democratic Party. That's right. It, it, it's so interesting. I, I, I'm going to have a most wanted poster with my head on it from the teachers unions. Uh, when I get through this primary, that's going to be an issue I'm going to take on. And I'd like to make it super crystal clear right now in your, your show, Greg, I am 100% pro teacher. 
They had one of the areas in education I want to improve upon. By the way, I'm taking the legs out of my Democratic opponent come November by saying this. Teachers in Arizona need to get paid more. And I have a plan on how we can do that without raising taxes. Well, they already they, they, they already collect enough money to pay them well. They just blow the money in stupid ways. That's right. You know, I heard there's 80-some-odd superintendents in Phoenix alone. They're, all make a quarter million dollars a year or more. That's right. If you look at the pitch line of the growth of compensation of administrators versus school teachers, it's like three times the growth Same rate. as hospitals. Right. Do you want to know, Greg, how much the average teacher... Let's just say you're 23, you went to my alma mater, NAU, wanted to be a teacher. You're 23, you get into teaching. You have, and you maybe make $45,000 roughly starting salary in Arizona. You have 12.5% come out of your paycheck, not taxes. They go. You don't have a choice. It goes to the pension program. That's cr- in no other industry, we're pri- and you're privatizing. If you have a private government, I mean, how, maybe that 23-year-old wants to go teach for five years and go on and do something else, which we're, happens in our American society. It's not the 50s anymore where you're going to work. Right. It's just you the reality of it. Stay there forever, yeah. But you're, so one of the areas that I can put more money back in teachers' pockets is by making that pension obligation, make it, make, make it optional. I, I come from the financial advising and services industry. I understand the math and how that can work. Guess who's against that? The unions. Because they that's power. That's money that they put. They right. Put, they get the financial institutions in their pocket because right. they get to sway where that money goes. Exactly. And it's legal. I, it, they get to lend that money it's out. It's legal. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's that's right. That's right. And, and the average teacher doesn't understand that. Oh, by the way, I would ask those teachers' unions, to, or the teachers, of course the unions won't tell them this, how many jobs they've lost in the last 10 years because of the policies. And guess what's going to happen over the next 10 years? They're going to con- think about that. The unions themselves, which should be creating jobs for their constituents, they're because of their policies, they're literally reducing jobs because then customer, the family, is deciding to go to a private institution. Yeah, they're, the making, they're making an end run on them. You know, the, the problem is because the union is so bad and so corrupt um, and, and so powerful we're just me arizona's made an end run on the unions yep with the charter school system it, and that's right and, and so you're starting to see a reduction in those teacher jobs those those union dues teacher jobs if enough people bail on the public system the system doesn't need to grow and then um new developments they know that you know 37.9 percent does go to charter school and then in 10 years from now it's 62.4 percent that's right they make less schools and you know what better for all of us well, private private industry at work i i want i'm love competition and everything because you should get better results of it is my goal and i'm again huge public school advocate um i think there's a role in it i think it's important it just needs to be done the right way and they need to in my opinion recognize they're in a competitive situation if they operate in a certain way that they think is ideologically correct, but against what the beliefs of their end customers are, which are our Arizona families, they're going to continue to cannibalize their own agenda because they're going to have less people. People are voting with their feet. So my goal in our district is to get SUSD to understand. I mean, if you've been watching the news and, and in fact, you know, uh, shortcomings of SUSD have been in national news in the last 12 months. This has to do with the um, school board president basically creating private, uh, you know, privately, you know, private witch hunts on parents within the district. And then also pushing a woke agenda on kids in inside the school. And this is every time one of those stories gets public, another 50 families decide to leave because they don't want their kids being pushed that woke radical agenda. They're, 
I just want them to understand the job and what we want them to do and what is a great need for society is to teach our kids excellence in reading and writing and math. And so what do you do at the state legislator level? Well, there's a legislation level that what I want to do is to be able to create penalties for districts that violate this this agenda. And so put rules and laws in place that say, listen, we want you to teach our kids certain subjects. Uh, we want to have, we want to have, make, uh, we want to make sure that the, everything that's being taught in the classroom, everything is transparent. I, I mean, literally who would be against that? And there's already works with that in, in play. But then if you violate that as a, as a teacher, what happened is that you no longer have that job. Well, that's the thing. The accountability, I think our country is perfect and needs nothing. It has zero accountability. Right. So you take a country that, like ours that has so much potential and adds zero accountability and the whole thing's coming off the rails. Right. If you added account, if, if, con if congressmen got put in jail for making money off their job, this whole country would be fixed in five minutes. Uh, it, don't, don't get me started on that whole issue. It's a national issue. But again, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I feel like it embodies me because uh, it's the, the Nancy Pelosi and her husband. It's a confluence of two of my worlds, politics, which I'm, you know, getting into, and then also uh, financial advising and stock trading, which has been my career for 22 years. And, and the, the racketeering that has occurred at this level, and it's legal, by the way, in the American eye, it, 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 it's basically created its own monster because, and I'm just going to use Nancy Pelosi because she's so easy to pick on, is that for 25 years, Nancy Pelosi has accumulated massive amounts of wealth through stock trading. That is 100% legal. Just insider trading. Insider trading. And so as a result, it's in my world, in my industry, I'd be in jail right now if I do what Nancy, 100%. I'd be in jail right. Right. if I did what Nancy Pelosi does. Right. I get in, if I got information on a she stock. She gets privy information and she's privy to how rulings are going to go down. Exactly. And not, only, and not only does she not go to jail, she actually gets political rewards for it because she has created this wealth of which then she has used in California politics to push and basically, and this is how political power works, help others of which then they're going to owe her favors. And so as a result, she has fortified her position of making the exact thing that created that power from ever dissipating because she now has a moat around yeah. the policy. So the people, she's just anybody that thinks right and wrong. Like if you're an American in Arizona and you think right and wrong, the fact that politicians get to trade and make profits on insider trading, but you, Mr. and Mrs. Citizen, you do not get to do that, okay? I mean, that is the ultimate abuse of power, but guess what? We all would want it, literally every hardcore Democrat in America, I could think, if you didn't put names into it, if you didn't put Nancy Pelosi's name to it, would agree with that is not right. Right. But guess what? Is right. it going to change? Well, it takes the majority. It's going to take the majority of people right. that benefit. And by the way, there's Republicans that do this too. It's going to take the majority of the people that benefit from it to decide, I'm going to limit my own political power. Right. So that's, it's a, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Okay, um, I think we see where you're coming from. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about your strategy and the campaign where it sits right now, and we'll wrap up because I know you got things to do. Yep, you got to appreciate that, Greg, for this opportunity. First of all, uh, so tomorrow is, is primary election day. I'm in a very competitive primary. I've been our, our campaign's either been number one or number two in fundraising, our petition signatures, every step and checkpoint along the way. Uh, we're running an America First political outsider campaign. We're gonna. You know, I think that people, particularly in my district, are sick and tired of politics as usual. We're sick and tired of sending the same everyday politicians down to the down to the Capitol or representative. The, the John Arnold campaign in, for the state house in LD4. If you're listening today, 
and you haven't voted yet and you're going down to the polls on Tuesday, just know this, our campaign, me personally, I'm going to take accountability and say, I'm going to represent the people that want liberty and America first and Arizona first agenda. I am not going to be beholden to any lobbyist, political action committee. Greg, if you look at the fundraising of, of the main contenders in my race, you'll see zero dollars. We've raised $188,000. Zero of that is PAC money. Zero of that is lobbyist money. You look at my competitors and the percentage of, that they've raised in that in that arena, it's, 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 it is like half the money, okay? Uh, I don't have to answer to one side, as we discussed before, of the Republican Party or the other. I get to vote because I'm not beholden to anybody. I'm not beholden to the, you know, the, the Ducey McCain side. I'm not beholden to, to the Trump side. I can talk and communicate and I can work and be an American first, Arizona first representative and work with both sides of that. I can be that unifier that doesn't, that doesn't have an allegiance. I don't owe favors to anybody. I, I get to re represent the people of our district with liberty and liberty in mind. And uh, in the group, I think there's six people running, right? Yep. And it's a hard, that's a hard place to poll. It's a hard race to poll. Yep. Um, what's your gut tell you where you are in the standing right now? My gut tells me based on information we have in, in different polls, which again is, is tough, is that we are neck and neck for second place. And I think we think we have a slight edge on second place right now. And the so, top, top two go. So give me an idea because, you know, we're all going to vote. I mean, I'm a live voting person. I never yep. do it on paper. Yep. So who, who you, I mean, we got Matt, who's your main competition that you feel like? Well, so if you if you look at the competition, there's six of us. Uh, we feel based on 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 uh, a strong fundraising effort, Matt Gress is likely going to get the number one spot. Uh, and then we think that the number two spot is going to be between myself, Maria Sims, and Vera Gibran. And we think we're slightly ahead there. Uh, but you never know. Uh, I mean, I'm grinding this thing out. I was out knocking doors yesterday in the 100-degree heat yep. for six hours. A uh, couple, you know, between you and, and uh, two other radio shows, we're going to be talking to voters here in the next two days. Uh, we're going to be out talking to voters all all night tonight. So it's we're taking it all the way to the edge. I don't like Matt Gress. I hope he gets thrown out. I think he's a douchey. Uh, I think he's a. I think he's a Doug douchey acolyte. I don't like where his money comes from. I don't like how much money he's spent. I don't like he's a goddamn carpetbagger from upstate New York. Um, I don't like how smooth he is. Um, there's a whole bunch I don't like about him, and I, and he he's run some real negative campaigns against other people in the race. And I just think he's a piece of trash. I, I hope Arizona throws his ass out and he goes back to New York. Yeah. Well, yeah, him and his boyfriend. They I all think, kiss my I, I ass. think he's technically from Oklahoma. But, no, he's yeah. upstate New York. He's from Syracuse. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the middle there someplace. Uh, he points unknown, but sure. at, least, at least that's what he said yeah. when he was talking the other night. Well, I tell you what, we are um, – it's a, It's going to be a hard race, I can tell you that. Um, and we've got, you know, 36 hours to go here, Greg, yeah. and I uh, certainly appreciate being on the show. Uh, and I can tell you this, that, uh, you know, if elected, when elected, uh, I'm going to be leading uh, – no lobbyist is going to have my vote. Uh, an America first, Arizona first, liberty driven agenda, uh, border security, get woke crap out of our education system, eliminate the state income tax, uh, make sure that we increase laws on the book in the next session on on uh, election security, mm -hmm. which, by the way, we didn't touch on that. But I'll just say this. Uh, it's not a, this is not a crime of passion, uh, election fraud. It is a crime. It's a premeditated crime. And right now in Arizona, it's a class five felony. And pe even people that are getting convicted from 2020 are not going to jail. So let's, uh, what, what the main issue I want to bring to forefront is to vastly increase 
the penalties on election fraud and deter the activity and the action. Uh, that's one of my biggest things. Nobody's talking about that is, you know, let, basically we need to take people to prison. Accountability. It, it, it goes back to accountability. Yeah. And by the way, you know, the deterrence will, 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 uh, will de or the, the actual penalty will deter the action. It'll, you know, it'll put downward pressure well, on it. Downward sure. pressure yeah. anyways. Yeah. You know, when Uncle, when Uncle Source comes and talks to these people and say, hey, we need you to go cheat for the team. And somebody says, well, what happens if I got, I get caught? Mr. Soros, and he's like, don't worry about it. You won't go to jail. Oh, okay, I'll go cheat. But guess what? If it's five years minimum, not going to do it as much. Yeah. So that we deter the that activity that way. Uh, that's going to be a major one. And then, you know, getting the voter rolls cleaned up, and I don't know how it happened, that's going to be another area. So, Greg, you would not believe how many houses, again, I've been out there, uh, I was number two in fundraising, but I also worked harder than anybody. I can tell you that 100%. Nobody put more blood and sweat into this race on the streets than I did in the last 12 months. I have knocked on, uh, I've probably met over 1,500 to 2,000 of our voters personally. Uh, and what I've heard is I had one gentleman tell me that he has always, like yourself, always voted at the polls. Never had, he never once asked for a ballot to be mailed to his house in 2020 he got four ballots sent to his house with his name on it so it was his name four ballots okay how the heck does that happen so he calls up and he said hey guys this is what happened to the county recorders so what happens in 2022 he told me he got two more so cleaning up those voter rolls is like actually figuring this problem out do, do you know that in private business with technology that we have databases analysis this type of, I mean, it's not voter ballots, but it's other types of like, whether it be mail or marketing. Just lists. Companies yeah. do this all the time and they control their data. They control how this happens. You wanna know why? It's because they lose money if they don't do it efficiently. Right. So that we have as a society, this technology to clean this stuff up. Why hasn't it happened yet? I'm not sure, but I tell you what, Greg, tomorrow, August 2nd, if I get voted in, when I get voted in by the constituents of our district, I will get, figure it out. Uh, and that you can count on. All right, John Arnold, thanks for being here. People want to go to your uh, website and read about you and find out a little more before they go to the polls. Tell us your website. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so it's johnarnoldforaz.com. And so if there's anybody out there listening wants to see my platform uh, that lives in Arizona, is, is still thinking about that that last vote for the state house, I encourage you to go there. And if you're out there in somewhere else in this great nation of America where you like what you've heard and you want to help support a candidate that is going to push back against the woke radical left, uh, you know, any fundraising efforts and, and uh, contributions would obviously be appreciated. John Arnold for az.com. Greg, really appreciate you having me in here. Uh, this is what I love to do is talk about America and liberty. And let me tell you, I'm going to leave the audience with this. If there's somebody out there that can vote in the AZ LD4 race, I'm asking for your vote. And let me tell you this. I'm asking you to, to put me into the state legislature so I can do the one thing that I was born to do, and that is fight liberals. Cannot wait for that Arnold honor. Greg, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Hey, sports fans, that's the show here on this, I don't know, whatever it is, happy Monday, day before primary. Um, I think the show's going to actually go up today, which is real rare for us. Usually this is a big lag, so we'll see how the editing goes, if there's an editing that needs to be done. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you all being part of this great American project. We will see you next time. Don't forget, check us out. The Greg Medford Show, Spotify, iTunes, Rumble. You can also check this out on my YouTube channel still over at my Medford Knife YouTube channel. Anyways, I'm out.